of Herbert West, who was my friend in college and in afterlife, I can speak only with extreme terror. That terror may be familiar to all of us who attempt to blindly explore the decisions that filmmakers have made in adapting the literary work of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to this world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1985's Reanimator, directed by Stuart Gordon, and of course um, based on the uh, the short story Herbert West Reanimator. And um, uh, James and, and listeners, it's actually kind of funny because before I ever knew anything about H.P. Lovecraft or who he was, I had seen Reanimator. This was actually my first exposure to him. Same, same here. Like, yeah. what, what, what did you see Reanimator for the first time? I think, wow, it, it probably wasn't honestly until uh, I was in my my mid twenties. I remember specifically. Um, I have two older brothers. This is a very long-winded story, and it's probably not necessary, <laughs> but I'll get to it anyway. I have two older brothers that used to throw parties when my parents were away on vacation. And nice. I would never participate because I was kind of a, as a teenager, kind of a, a self-conscious, nervous kind of kid. But uh, one morning after one of the parties, uh, one of my friends, or my brother's friends, had kind of crashed that night. And his, his name was Phil. He's still one of my best friends. He's going to be my, my best man in my wedding. Um, we started talking about horror films, and he, he, he said something effective, like, dude, have you ever seen Reanimator? That movie's fucking crazy, man, you gotta see it, and so I'm like, oh, okay, I, I guess I have to, and I saw it, and it was, it was crazy, and I've seen it a couple times since then, and I gotta be honest with you, to you, to James, and to the listeners, um, doesn't hold up very well for me. Well, you break my heart. See, <laughs> we, we, we differ with that, like, I, I still love it, but... Same kind of similar thing. I think I saw it probably. Well, I was much younger when I saw it. I probably saw it when I was. I'm going to shot in the dark, probably between like 14, 15. So a little later than some other horror films. Right. Um, On VHS. uh, I remember renting it from the video store across the street from where I live. Like, you know, like where my parents live now. Mm -hmm. Um, It was called Video Reflections. It was like my my video store like all you kids that are listening video stores were these places that you actually went to you looked at stuff and then you actually chose something to rent and you actually watched it as opposed to nowadays and i and i go through the same thing owning so many movies and having so many streaming options and going i guess i'm just gonna watch this thing i've watched a hundred times as opposed to something new and exciting you know don't you hate that like i i can't get out of that like i'm i'm trying this year or at least this holiday season of halloween to kind of go outside the box but what would reanimator you know i chose it because i looked at the box and I, you know you see this bespectacled you know mm-hmm. um man and he's holding some green fluid and you're like huh <laughs> what is that like and reading the back and you're going okay this sounds pretty cool i'm gonna watch and i i fell in love with it and like you mm-hmm. Didn't know who H.P. Lovecraft was. Didn't know who Stuart Gordon was. Didn't yep. know who Jeffrey Combs was. And after that, I kind of wanted to find out about all three in separate ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like like so I got into Stuart Gordon films. I'm like, OK, I got to see what else he's done. Yeah. So I, I would I would watch. I would go rent everything that was available to me. Everything from, you know, another film we'll talk about later on from beyond mm-hmm. um, something like The Pit and the Pendulum, a a Poe adaptation he did mm-hmm. for Full Moon Pictures. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but then also stuff like Robot Jocks and for- and Fortress, which 
are sci-fi films he made that I enjoy on a different level. Mm -hmm. And same thing with Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs became a favorite actor of mine, especially in the Star Trek series, all the different Star Treks he would appear in. Mm -hmm. And something like um, a film that I, I remember going to the theaters to see. And when I saw Jeffrey Combs' name, I must have been the only one in the theater that went, woo, which was <laughs> which was The Frighteners. Oh, yeah. And he's amazing. And, and and that's the thing with Jeffrey Combs. When we go into our next episode, um, we'll, we'll talk about Jeffrey Combs more about how sometimes he's like the only saving grace of something. Yeah. Especially a lot of a lot of the director video stuff he's done. A lot of shit. But, you know, people got to make money to eat and... <laughs> He's always he always gives it his all that and that's what I kind of appreciate about him like he has that gusto to go okay you know what this is crap but I'm gonna act like it's it's the most important film I've ever done. Well, <laughs> you get that with a lot of uh, I mean a lot of character actors and horror actors too yes. and, and and this was of course the the I believe the first time that Stuart Gordon and Jeffrey Coombs would work together they would of course become regular uh, corrobor- uh collaborators as you said they would do uh from beyond yeah. which is another lovecraft adaptation they did a um a entry into the masters of horror series which uh, which was the black cat in which Jeffrey Coombs played yes. Edgar Allan Poe um they also the castle freak together for full moon which was another with Barbara Crampton. So it's funny, like three films they did with Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs, which we'll also talk about the absence of Barbara Crampton in Bride of Reanimator. But that's another story, <laughs> yeah, of course. But before before we delve too deeply into Stuart Gordon's Reanimator, um, I want to give you a little bit of background on the short story Herbert West Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft. Um, it was written. Um, kind of in between uh, 1921 and 1922. If you've ever read it before, you know that there are different parts because it was actually written in a serial fashion. And it was um, written for this magazine called Homebrew, which is described as a, quote, crude and flamboyant humor magazine. Um, (laughs) And Lovecraft was basically kind of like a writer for hire. He was paid five bucks for entry, uh, per entry, and I think there's six entries in total, so a grand total of $30, which I, I apparently did the math. It would come out to about $426 total in, in nowadays money. But it's funny because this is arguably, as we mentioned in the last episode, his the most famous Lovecraft adaptation, cinematic adaptation, if you will. Certainly, it's it's got a cult popularity. And yet, right. Lovecraft himself didn't really like Reanimator, um, Herbert West Reanimator. He kind of looked down on it as like, you know, he was slumming it. He was a writer for hire. He didn't care for the story that much. And... That's interesting to me because the film is very popular and also a lot of Lovecraft fans, this is one of the most popular of the short stories that he ever wrote. Right. Um, and so the the I, we won't get you too bogged down in the details, but the story is basically there is this unnamed medical student um, in the film. They they name him, um, is it Dan Kane or Dan, Dan, Dan Kane? Dan, not, Dan Kane, Dan Kane, not Dean Kane, not Superman. Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, um, it's this unnamed guy who basically goes to medical school with this guy named Herbert West who... Um, has these crazy theories about um, what life is and basically how life is just kind of chemical reactions within people. We are just bags of meat who are walking around and um, has invented some type of reagent formula which can uh, bring back the dead. And he uh, goes about showing this to our our, our narrator through his POV to, uh, to varying disastrous results until eventually um, there's this uh, final climax at the end in which all of the bodies that he has reanimated kind of... Um, silently and yet gruesomely tear him to pieces um mm-hmm. and of course uh, uh in typical lovecraftian fashion our protagonist wakes up and there is no proof of it and everyone assumes that he has just gone mad um right 
But uh, that that's kind of and, and you know it's it's a breezy read. It's about thirty pages, but because it was in a serial fashion, the first one or so, or one or two pages is he's just like, what happened on last week's episode, and kind of catching you up. But right, it's 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 definitely like you said, it's a, it's a serialization. It's it's like a comic book almost. It you know like where they would always have to reiterate, oh. By the way, this guy I knew was this, and this is his name, and then he was kind of crazy, and then there's Dean Halsey, and like yeah. it's funny because like I reread it this week, and I, like for the first time in so long, and I'm like, oh right, I forgot you could have easily cut out like almost like three or four pages <laughs> of just the of the recaps, but it's it's a weird read, but like I could have seen a different type of film from this story but there are elements you know like Stuart gordon and um the, the writer dennis paoli yeah you know they cherry pick and kind of that's kind of like what a lot of lovecraft adaptations do i think we'll we'll always kind of discuss where they cherry pick the most i don't know if quote unquote most interesting things but like elements that you'll go, oh, okay, like, you know, because when I'm rereading the story, I'm like, oh, okay, there's there's one part that he cherry-picked, and then there's that part, and that character, and that, and then you're like, and the rest is like, okay, and it's also like, again, it's a period piece, mm. so like, supposedly there was another adaptation a few years ago, I, I haven't heard I haven't heard good things about it, but supposedly it's a little more along the lines of a, I guess, quote-unquote truthful adaptation, but who knows mm -hmm. what that even means nowadays. Well, and I think that uh, the fact that this is one of the most popular ones and such a successful cult horror film kind of does speak to how difficult it is to kind of get the essence of H.P. Lovecraft on film, or at least in the 1980s, uh, when people were not necessarily, uh, you know, this was came out in 1985, where the, we were kind of knee-deep in the Friday the 13th stuff and Nightmare on Elm Street and just kind of those things that were kind of striking back at sort of um, Reagan's America, if you will, and so there was this kind of more of a focus on gore and how can we be really badass and push the edge and that sort of stuff. And um, whereas Lovecraft is much more interested in, as we said, this existential kind of dread, which at the heart of, of, of the short story is this idea of our unnamed protagonist kind of keeps looking for or wants to find proof of some type of soul or something like that, and... And uh, and Herbert West is basically uh no that that's not the case we're chemical reactions that's it and it's actually kind of a very um, subtle but nihilistic view of human existence. No, you're right. It's very it's very like it's two sides of um, it's almost like two sides of science where you have Herbert West who is straight up like look there like you said bags of meat <laughs> we, I will get to the bottom of how I can reanimate this and that and i will keep experimenting he's very cold and calculating mm -hmm. is, is something that's keep repeated like he's very cold calm calculated even if it seems like he might freak out he's just like let me just try to get to the bottom of it but then this unnamed narrator he's like you said he's looking for the hope of there's a soul there's something like that and like one of my favorite lines and i made sure to write it down from the short story is when at, like at the end of the second chapter where he's like damn it it wasn't quite fresh enough <laughs> yeah and what's great about that line is i think that line alone is the essence of jeffrey combs's depiction of herbert west mm -hmm. jeffrey combs's herbert west is more i wouldn't say maniacal because he's very he's brilliant he's smart even though he, he every time he does these experiments 
they always screw up. Like they're <laughs> never they're successful in a sense, but not in the sense that we would want someone to be brought back to life. Like they just become mindless zombies. Like you know, and then like they delve more into, you know, where Doctor Hill will talk about, mm-hmm. um, like he can control them. Yeah, and I kind of like that little like element that's thrown in there. But ultimately, it's like let's just keep trying it. Like one day I'll get it right. You know, thirty years later, maybe maybe I'm still screwing up, but I will I will try it over and over again until I get it right, like a real scientist would. Mm-hmm. And and that yeah. is that is one thing, and and I guess we can kind of uh, get into the film discussion a bit now. But th- that is one thing that I like is that um, when we are introduced uh, to Herbert West, which is in um, some uh, university in German, I believe, and and Doctor Hans Gruber. Okay, you're really clever, guys. Um, is is <laughs> is uh, his his reanimating or his reagent is bringing this this character back disastrously, and um, Herbert West is kind of panicky, but it's more just kind of like. Um, leave me alone. I need to study these results versus like, Oh my God, what's happening? Like his, his, his emphasis is always on how can I improve this? How can I make this better? And it is a testament to Stuart Gordon and to Jeffrey Coombs. And the casting is just, I can't read this story now without picturing Jeffrey Combs in my head. It's, it's so true. Like no matter what, I, I just, even reading this short story again, I'm like, I, that's how, that's how good of an actor Jeffrey Coombs is. Like he's just, He's he's having so much fun mm-hmm. in the role, like yeah. like like there's the one scene like after the cat comes back to life and it's it, and it's ridiculous. It's it's so fake looking and I love it. And <laughs> they're throwing it around and it like when Dan just throws it against the wall and just the brain like is all over. Yep. And then when there's that part of this the glee, there's like Jeffrey Combs like puts it in there where he's like Dan, watch out. And he's just, and it's nothing, of course. And he's just laughing while like slowly sitting down and just <laughs> That's right. hysterically laughing. And you're like, he loves this. He love he loves trying to get to the bottom of it. But he's also just having fun mm-hmm. with Dan. Like uh, the first time, he actually it seems like he has someone that wants to help and wants to push it as far as possible. But like like in the story, he's more passionate about bringing people lot. You know, he wants to save people. Yeah. We see that in the first scene that, you know, when they introduce Dan, which is a great scene where he just he can't like like it doesn't work. It's like like and it's actually um, Stuart Gordon's wife is the woman that works at the hospital where she's like, just stop like it. She's she's dead. Yeah. It, it, and yeah. that is that is a good opening scene because it does introduce us to the the character of Dan Kane, uh, Bruce Abbott, who's supposed to be kind yeah. of our audience surrogate that we're going along with, and does set up that differing philosophy because he's, you know, this patient has flatlined and he's still trying to go, you know, to resuscitate her, and it's basically, you know, a good doctor knows when to give up, um, which I think is is interesting um, and is something that uh, that the film adds uh, that the that the book doesn't or or that they kind of expand upon in the story, um, but the one thing I will say is. Even though our our protagonist is now named, he is just as blank <laughs> as as the as the the POV character in the book. Like we know, yeah, we we know. Okay, his name is Dan Kane. He's a medical student, and yet at the end of the film, like I know I know nothing about you. I, I know I know nothing about what you want. I mean, the the film is very clearly interested more in Herbert West than it is anyone else. Oh yeah, it it's like, and it's nothing against Bruce Abbott. He does a a good job with the role. It's just like you said. It's written just like, okay, he's the quote unquote, you know, 
um, milk toast hero <laughs> that wants the best and like he has a beautiful girlfriend that he wants to get married to, but like the dean is the the, the is the father and like he but but he's working his butt off you know like he it's like he's not it's not a free ride for him yeah he's he's really working his butt off to try to do and but that's it like you said the second one actually deals a little more Mm -hmm. kind of expands upon bruce bruce abbott's depiction of dan king but yeah it's like it it's the herbert west show like i'm I'm actually surprised well i'm not surprised because back then reanimator is a better title than herbert west yeah reanimator like Mm -hmm. so so but but who is the reanimator it's Herbert West. Like ultimately, it's him. And and you know what? Jeffrey Combs comes to the comes to it full force. He's like, I'm good. Basically, you could tell that it's it's like his star making performance. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's the one you go. Oh, and then every horror director wanted to work with him. Yeah, and you know? I and I understand bringing Dan Kane in and uh, you know as kind of giving that emotional uh, heart to the film. I mean, that's you know that's why years later Del Toro would add. John Myers to Hellboy because like oh we need a, a human kind of to, that we can emotionally connect with in this large crazy kind of world um, and th- then the film also you know because the story is so focused on instead um, here is why or he- here is how life doesn't really mean anything on a on a, on a, a more of a spiritual level um, and adds some more emotional stakes so we have Megan Halsey as played by Barbara Crampton who is not just the daughter of the dean of the school but Dan Kane's love interest there I. I thought they were dating, but at one point, I think he says, like, this is my fiance, so I wasn't entirely clear about that. It's it's weird. Like, like I guess the the idea is that they will get married once he gets – once he graduates. Yeah. Girlfriend, fiance, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, and, you know? yeah, and, it, and it doesn't because she is a an attractive woman in a 1980s horror film, which means we already know what's going to happen to her by the end of everything. Um, and, uh, so we, we add that emotional, uh, connection because we want to have some emotional stakes in this movie. And then also the introduction of Dr. Carl Hill, who is not someone who's in the story, but is sort of this, uh, also intellectual rival to Herbert West. Whereas, you know, Dr. Hill is this character who is, who they, they keep saying he's, he's bringing in a bunch of grant money to the school. You know, he's, he's done all sorts of research on, uh, where the will is centered in the brain to which of course, Herbert West uh, vehemently disagrees, and they have kind of a not just a, an intellectual um, uh, battle with each other, but then um, also they felt it necessary to add that Doctor Hill is a tremendous uh, fucking creep who is also um, has been in love with uh, Megan Halsey for I don't know since her childhood. It would seem like right, and, and also the fact that he can control people, like he can hypnotize people, mm-hmm. which is a a strange thing, because, like, even the first... I remember, like, the first time watching it, like, not even thinking about that until he does it to the reanimated, reanimated bodies. But, like, no, he's doing it from the very beginning yeah, of the movie. Like, he's... And he tries it, like, a little bit with Herbert West. And, her, like, Herbert West's will is too strong. So it would never work on Herbert. Mm-hmm. But, but, but their scenes... Um, the scenes together with them are... I, I, I love them. Like, I... I kind of think David Gale is – I love David Gale. Like I think he does so much with a villainous role. He – you know, he's – and what a little funny side story is that um, his wife was pissed at him, especially with the uh, yeah the uh, head-giving-head scene yes. with uh, Megan Halsey. And I kind of love – it's like – but of course this thing is like 
but it's acting. But, you know, he's probably having a lot of fun doing that acting. You know, it's like, oh, I could do this. And, like, Barbara Crampton's even joked about it, like, in interviews where he was, like, a sweetheart of a guy. But, like, his the wife was very, uh, very right. jealous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I could see why, you know. Well, and we'll 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 certainly uh, we'll get to the uh, the the troublesome um, uh, <laughs> problematic gender uh, and and sexuality oh. in, in this film, uh, of course, definitely. Which is which is something that you know. Let's be upfront and clear. Um, women characters didn't really exist in Lovecraft. Like they they might have been mentioned. They but um, Lovecraft was a guy in his real life. He did get married at some point and then eventually divorced. You kind of get the sense there wasn't. He didn't know a whole lot about what it is to be selfless, to love someone else. So women characters are not really a thing in Lovecraft's fiction. And unfortunately, by extension, a lot of adaptations don't have that as well. So we do have Megan Halsey, but she still kind of only exists to sort of be an agent of change and for Dan Kane or, right. um, you know, for conflict between him and, and, and Dr. Hill. But uh, and I and that's. That is that is in itself uh, trouble, but let's we, we won't necessarily dive into that right now. But because uh, I, I want to focus on the positive elements, because um, I didn't, <laughs> as we kind of mentioned, I didn't love this as a film and as a, as an adaptation. We'll save that for the end as well. But one thing that I do like about this film is that intellectual sparring they set up with Herbert West and with Carl Hill. Um, and there, there's that fun, there's that fun kind of scene where he's sitting with, in a lecture with Doctor Hill, and he keeps like uh, saying certain things, and then West keeps breaking his pencils as like points of of conflict and influence. Yep. And at one point, he's just like, "Maybe you should invest in a in pen." A, in a pen, <laughs> Mister West. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just so great. Like you go, yeah, like, and it's just a simple thing, and even everyone else is like looking, like, "Oh God, what mm. the hell's going on?" Like, and I, it's funny that. You would think Herbert West, after getting away with what happened in Zurich at at that, you know, hospital, he would be a little more low key. But <laughs> but he's so, he's so full of himself, yeah, because he knows that he's more brilliant than even in, in his mind, and and you know, in a way, he's right. He's more brilliant than even his professor. Mm-hmm. And I just love that Hill, like, at first just hates him, but then when he finds out that this guy has this brilliant thing he's gonna steal it yeah like he doesn't give a shit like you know and i love that like and it's that sparring where it's like i'm gonna like i'm gonna take full credit for your your experiments Mm -hmm. like like you know and then we see what happens with that (laughs) which is interesting because then it it does set this up like you you do get the sense that dr hill does all this shit basically for fame and for himself and for notoriety and west is basically just doing it for a, a, a admittedly skewed but still kind of a scientific curiosity. Like, he he doesn't care yeah. about fame. He just wants, you know, he wants to understand how life works, basically. Yeah, and, and the other thing, like, we, we, we were talking about, like, you know, 1985, this when this film came out. And, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, Herbert West's um, reanimated figures are, you know, quote-unquote a form of zombie. Yeah. Not, I mean, even even Lovecraft's story, people say it's one of the first depictions of zombified things that weren't necessarily the quote unquote, you know, zombies from the islands, you know, from Haiti. Yeah. You know, like it was the scientific zombies, you know, something that happens, scientific experiment or something. So and I also find it kind of weird that 85 was also the year of Return of the Living Dead mm-hmm. and Day of the Dead. 
Oh yeah. Which is kind of which is kind of crazy that you had three films that dealt with you know zombies in completely different ways and but all three were also like in their own way dark comedies like you know because day of the dead is the most like you know non-comedy of them all but it still has those elements that romero's was throwing in fun stuff for zombie fans and then you have return of the living dead which you know dan o'bannon is having fun with like the concept of you know, zombies and like the, the that's where the whole brains come from eating brains like <laughs> yeah. that had never been done. Like and then you have reanimated. So you have these three films that dealt with zombies in different ways. But also, I mean, I love all three of them in, in different ways. Like I can watch all three if they're on TV. Yeah. let me. But out of all, like we, we've talked about in the first episode, um, Day of the Dead will always be my favorite of those. Yeah. But but like, yeah, like I just always find that weird growing up going, oh, wow, all three came out the same year. That's insane. That is really strange. And, and to be clear, James, brains make the pain of, of being dead go away. That's that's why we eat them. <laughs> that's true. And, and it's kind of funny because like it reanimated deals with the, the dead feeling pain. It's basically them being reborn, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of like and I could also see like Clive Barker watching all these types of films and stuff and, and reading Lovecraft because when you get into the Hellbound Heart or Hell, you know, Hellraiser, mm-hmm. a couple of years later, it also deals with the pain of being reborn and being reformed. And I, 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 but but again, I have a soft spot always for like any medical, like scientific horror films that try to, you know, deal with the whole thing of like, if you did bring something or someone back to life, like it wouldn't just be a simple, oh, I'm good. Okay, I'm gonna go back to work. Right, you know mm-hmm. that's not it. That's not interesting. I'd rather see like someone being reborn and like I just love that Herbert West's um, reanimated subjects are always just squealing monstrous like psychopaths, basically. Yeah, I want to kill. And and one of uh, one my favorite line probably from the film is that after they reanimate the cat and it's like screaming and making noise, even though it's it's basically it's had its brains kind of splattered against yeah. the wall. It's making this horrific screeching noise, and, and Dan's probably like, "Why is it doing that?" And, and Herbert West is like, "Birth is painful," and, and and you have that parallel of like a baby kind of coming out and screaming, and like, "What is this? I'm not used to this." And that was interesting to me. Um, and I, I remember um, thinking we we talked in the first episode about about how I'm not a fan of, of gore just for the sake of gore. Um, right. I mean, if you've uh, have you seen uh, the, the any of the Saw franchise films? Yeah. I have. <laughs> um, one of yeah. one of my biggest complaints about the third one, and I overall I like the third one, but it, it starts out with like a kind of a somebody being dissected and their brain kind of getting cut out, and like it's right, it's not scary. It's just like gross, just for the sake of like I'm going to gross you out. And this right. film does that to an extent. But when I started thinking about it, if the story is focused on here's how physical life is doesn't really mean anything and we all just kind of are bags of flesh it, it kind of makes sense to play up that like viscera because it's like well, well who cares what is this what does it matter if it's moving or not it's all the same thing no definitely and like and that's the thing like with the whole cat scene when it gets reanimated like so we we never know how it dies initially yeah like like i i've always gathered that herbert west killed it but yeah let's just you. say for yeah but let's just say for argument's sake it did somehow fall in the garbage can and get <laughs> suffocate, crushed or whatever yeah. to, suffocate and crushed, whatever. He tries to bring it back. And of course it 
becomes psychotic and like it can't control itself and then they kill it and then he shows that he can bring it back again mm. even though it's spine the spinal cords ripped in half and his brains all over the place and but i just loved like he does he he needs to show dan this that this is possible mm-hmm. i can do this i want to show you this and that and that and that and to him that that should be enough And and of course, um, things go awry. Uh, Dean Halsey gets involved. This is something which is similar in in the movie and and the book in that Dean Halsey eventually also gets killed and they decide to kind of try and bring him back to life. And that kind of goes disastrously disastrously as well. Um, Circumstances are a little bit different, but there is that idea of once again, because we've they've tried to establish, oh, I'm in love with Dean Halsey's daughter and he's kind of a competitor, but someone that I have to kind of be on good terms with. Suddenly he's dead and like, fuck, guys. Uh, we got to fix this, and so they try and bring him back to life, and it um doesn't go very well, and he eventually ends up in a in a, a mental institution because they just assume he's a, a crazy guy. Uh, do you do you find it weird though that Doctor Hill has a room in his office that <laughs> is the asylum? <laughs> it's you know, it's just, a, right like that. Yeah, kind of odd. It's it's a little strange that he can just like while he's taking notes or or trying to grade papers, he can look over and just kind of uh, see straitjacket patients banging their head against the wall repeatedly. It's not, um, right. you know, do you have to make office hours so that he can kind of cover that stuff up? I'm not sure how that entirely works. I know. I mean, I guess he has more free reign because he, like you said earlier, he it's known that he's the big breadwinner of this hospital. Yeah, because suppose you know we we gathered that. His thing is all like the laser into the brain. That's right, yeah. And like, you know, that surgery he's perfected, be it for living or dead. Like, we never see him operate on living either. No. You know, only Dan is the only one that's trying to bring back for that. Like, you don't see him or Herbert deal with the living. It's always they're dead already. Yeah, in in. <laughs> And that that is a shift that we can we can certainly talk about uh, when we kind of get into it, it being an adaptation. Is there is that shift where they they do kind of seem to be focused on the idea of prolonging life, but there's just differing ideas as to what life is. Whereas this one is much more. Once again, it's a horror film from the 1980s. Like we're going to shift the focus. It's going to be death instead, and sort of how. Right. And it, it's a, it seems like it's a minor distinction. Uh, I'll expand on it later. But in my in my mind, it's an important distinction. Those two di- those two things. Um, but the the big takeaway is uh, Doctor Hill is a, uh, a tremendous creep and jackass who kind of wants everything for himself. Um, and it is. <laughs> In my in my mind, I was I was honestly mostly on board with this film. There was some stuff that I thought, like as a film, it was kind of okay. You're not really mixing the comedy and the horror very well in my mind. Like the the comedy was kind of almost trying, like almost taking me out a bit. Like, uh, mm. and, and I think some of that was budgetary things. Listen, I'm not going to knock them because they don't have a whole lot of budget for to make the cat look realistic. But when your scene is them, uh, you know, allegedly chasing this cat around a basement, and all you have is just two guys kind of running around crazily with a cat noise thrown in every now and again, it's sort of like, okay, I, I, I see what you're doing. It's not working so great for me. But I still was mostly on board with what the film was doing until we get to the point of Herbert West uh, killing Doctor Hill, who is going to take, uh, you know, uh, who's going to take credit for all of Herbert West's work, um, and then he severs his his head. With a shovel, which admittedly is kind of cool of an effect, but yeah. then in 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 my mind, that's where the film kind of start starts going a little bit off the rails because for me, that's when you know after that is when we sort of have this the incredibly problematic stuff with uh, Doctor Hill's sexual obsession with Megan Halsey, and even um, 
that's when some of the gore effects kind of start. It's not even the gore effects. I'll, I'll step back on that one. Mm-hmm. It's more of the, uh, the, the, the comedy and the horror start kind of conflicting with each other in a way which I think doesn't fully work. The story, there's humor in the story. I mean, you mentioned the line like, damn, it wasn't quite fresh enough. Like, that's funny. Yeah, like, it is. No like, matter what. That, and that's a funny, and to me, that's a funny cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. You got to think that was in an issue. And then you got to wait for the next one. You go, whoa, that's a wait. Whoa, what the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they, they've basically reanimated this corpse who has gone crazy and kind of escaped. And, and, and our narrator is thinking like, holy shit, this stuff really works. And all Herbert West is thinking is, eh, the, the, the body needs to be, needs to be uh, dead like sooner, basically. Yeah, yeah, it has to be a little, a little more fresh, please. <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, but when we, when we get... Um, and and this is something that I think kind of the franchise continues is that it, it plays up the humor a little bit too much that I think kind of takes me out because I think this film could be done in a, in a comic a comical way a darkly comic way I think but it, it it's a little bit too slapsticky for my for my taste especially when there's that that corpse the one that kills Dean Halsey you know it's this it's this gigantic lumbering oh. naked guy yeah who, who's uh who's just kind of grunting and like kind of monosyllabically and it's kind of like it's it's I don't know if they were intending for that to be funny, but I couldn't take it seriously because I was laughing so much, and not in a in a good way. Yeah, see, like I I I, I kind of feel I don't know if yeah, I mean Stuart Gordon comes from the world of theater, yeah, exp- especially experimental theater. So, mm. and remember, this is his first feature film as well. So I think he was, you remember, he's still working the kinks out, trying to figure out how do you, you know, I guess you could say how do you kind of meld comedy and like horrific horror and i agree like the film after i mean i love the scene when he chops the head off and he's just like tapping its head with the pencil <laughs> again it's a pencil scene with dr hill yeah i think i think it's a th- it's 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 definitely intended but i i kind of like that in herbert's mind he's oh well, let me try to inject the serum in both the body and the head Mm -hmm. what what happens then is it all connected or are they all different parts and and again that they deal more into that in in the sequels but when it goes off the rails i think that's that's a lot like and and it is that's a lot of 80s horror films like those that last third always just goes off the rails and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i think it works in this but it's I'm going to agree with you that it's not it's not the most ideal. I kind of not that I zone out a bit, but like I kind of go, okay, I remember that and then when like it kind of like almost rushes it all. Like after that scene. Mm-hmm. Well, and and yeah, the the moment when um Dr. Hill's severed reanimated head is on the desk kind of rolling his eyes at how this body is stumbling around and bumbling and trying to get uh blood out of his fri- like that's the moment that I'm checking my phone cuz I'm like this is <laughs> Come on, like it, it. I I could entertain maybe the argument of like the the scene that I just described with the the lumbering naked guy, like that that one is has like a dark comic element to it because it's like it's a giant naked corpse. This is weird. Um, yeah. But then it becomes full on like kind of Three Stooges when the head is like, no, you dummy. This it's like uh, this way. Yeah. Like it, like, like okay. it's almost like a sitcom. Like it's like 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 they'll use that rolling to the eyes. Like oh yeah, not, it, not you. Know, oh body, what are you? Go- what am I gonna do with you? <laughs> yeah, you almost kind of like imagine if you sped that up and like played yakety sax underneath it. Like that would that would not be far off. No, actually, that would actually. I think we have to do that <laughs> and put it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, and um, 
And, and then, then shortly after that is also when then uh, Dr. Hill, uh, uh, or, or the body and head of Dr. Hill kind of go to the morgue to try and reanimate a bunch of, you know, I guess this army of the dead he wants to raise up for reasons? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they have that scene where he is wearing a fake head, like a plastic head, which is something that's in, in, in the book or in the story, but that's something that works a lot better as, like, using your imagination versus... Okay. Seeing it. Yeah, come on. How are we supposed to believe that um, this security guard... Fun note about the security guard, because in the movie, the guard keeps, like, going off for breaks. Like, ah, oh, break time. Yeah. Um, and according to the trivia on IMDb, according to the commentary, he kept leaving to masturbate. Oh. Uh, I don't know what it says about both that gentleman and the fact that people appear just to be like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, that's weird. It is weird and, and kind of plays into, once again, the, this, the, the kind of the troublesome sexuality in this, in this film, which I think we can kind of get into now. Um, yeah. Because it, it's, let's be frank about this, there's a rape in this. I mean, Dr. Hill yeah. and his severed head is like in love with Megan Halsey. They, they strap her down to a table. She says things like, no, and don't do this. And he does it anyway. And well, he's like, he's laughing. He's laughing about it. Yeah. Her, you know? and, and it is like, and I know. Uh, uh, I, I know that Barbara Crampton willingly was in this movie and, you know, and she'll, she'll show up again in, uh, from beyond, which also has some kind of psychosexual elements to it, but it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of weird to me because with the, the Megan Halsey character not being in the story, I'm, I'm cool with you adding it, but then also at some point the screenwriters were like, you know, what's going to be really cool. This scene where a severed head gives cunnilingus to someone, someone that we yeah. may add who's reanimated father was the one that strips her naked to begin with yes no and exactly and it it is a very problematic scene and it's one it's a scene that when i was younger of course you know the first time you see it, it's like oh okay it's you know quote-unquote titillating because barbara crantum is and still is a very attractive woman mm -hmm. and it's one it's a nude scene but then of course even when i was like 15 i, I was like i kind of feel gross I, I i feel gross about this scene and then the older i get the more it's just like I almost shake my head every time I see that scene. It's like I don't care that like he kidnaps her and he, and and he wants to be with her. You didn't have to insert that sex scene, like like you know that rape scene. Like you didn't have to. It's it's unneeded and like you said, it's it's almost like a frat boyish type scene. There's no need at all. I, I can understand if you want to have the Doctor Hill character set up as a romantic rival or something to damn but there's no need for this kind of thing to exist and i've heard this described by like horror fans in the past like oh wasn't that scene so fucking gnarly or like and they, there's yeah. kind of a, a glee to it and that it really upsets me yeah and 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 that's i mean and it's not it it's it is a, a problem i have with like a lot of not a lot but horror films sometimes then that they kind of throw in that kind of like sexual assault but it's almost like they try to make it titillating it, they try to make they try to make it sexy and it's like no it's never sexy that's that's what rape is not sexy no it's it's horrible and i know that right. there th there's within the the horror community the sort of this thing especially in the 80s of like we got to be punk and we got to push back against what's you know the conservatism of the 80s but like not like this man like not like well, which is funny because Return of the Living Dead has a scene when Linnea Quigley strips down naked and she's running around. And she's talking about old men like touching her body, like what mm. basically without her consent. Yeah. And then all the zombies do almost like it's like sexually grabbing her. But 
for some reason that scene works a little more because it's just it's brief and it's also it you know what I mean it's it's almost like okay well she's just getting killed well, they're not they're not they're not getting sexual pleasure from this you know what I mean yeah in, it's in, weird but it is a weird thing for the mid eighties like you said Reagan Reagan's king and everyone's just trying to be like you said as punk rock yeah it's the one scene that I I can't see anyone defending that scene. You know what I mean? I can't see someone going, "Oh, that scene is needed." Why? Yeah, no, it's 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 not. And and the fact that in the past I've heard people, if not defend it because there was an accusation, but just kind of talk about how gnarly or cool they thought it was. Like when I was, you know, a teenager or my twenties or something, and, and was not a, a a as you know, not a respectful person or kind of not more aware of other people's perspectives, and just kind of thinking like, "Oh, here was a scene involving this woman written by three guys." Um, right. who made the decision like we need this in the movie and we need to film this and um you know it's 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 horrible and, and i guess you know the scene is then set up because i guess dan's supposed to be the savior because he comes in right at the nick of time to set up this of course you know this and herbert west is also kind of the savior too in, in his own way yeah because he wants to get revenge on hill on dr hill yeah um and, and so it and, and it leads I, I mean this sequence eventually leads to one of the most horrifying and i, I mean this in a, in a good way like the scariest images yeah. of when hill's like i have plans for you and all of a sudden all at once all of his undead corpses kind of pop up it's yeah. It's horrifying, and that's and they you see them all in their in their gore. There's the person who got run over by a car, the person that got shot in the head, the person who had his third degree burn, and like and that's that is the good kind of like gnarly, like oh my god, I I I feel kind of grossed out by what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, and, and I call, I kind of like that they used a lot of actors that actually had like limbs that had been cut off, mm -hmm. you know, like like you know amputated or whatever the case would be for for the scene, which is a big thing in horror films where. Oh, we have this zombie with no legs. Well, let's hire that actor that has no legs. Mm -hmm. Why try to why try to replicate it when you can actually have this person that can actually <laughs> crawl and be creepier than trying to either CGI it or just do a prosthetic thing, you know? Well, and there there is something that's I don't want to necessarily say admirable, but when he's like, "Listen, we got a low budget. What are we going to work with?" And they work with right. that kind of thing. I mean, we had a uh, in you know in Saving Private Ryan, a lot of the people in, on Normandy Beach that had limbs blown off were people that were yes. missing limbs. Um, and it, it's different versus uh, in here versus. Did you ever see? Uh, it was another horror film I think in the eighties called The Sentinel. You know what's funny? I have I have seen it. I probably haven't seen it in over twenty years, so I don't remember okay. much at all. I think I might have bought it when it came out recently, but I still haven't watched it. Okay, That's my problem. Yeah, it's a um basically this woman rents an apartment in New York City which happens to be over the portal to hell. Um it, it was sort of, of yeah, I think it was like Universal's response to the Exorcist basically. Um okay. but at one point near the end it's like all these hell citizens <laughs> <laughs> that was the card carrying said like oh no 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 i, I yeah i live on on torture way like oh cool now i just moved into uh, fire <laughs> lake road um but but it's a bunch of these like people who are denizens of hell i guess kind of marching towards this woman but all of them are people that have actual physical deformities and it's very oh, wow. exploitative um because it's sort of like look um, at how terrible and it's like no that's that's a little bit different um yeah it's, it's not like how todd browning worked with in freaks how he's not calling them freaks you know what i mean like that's just what the freaks show the whole but like he actually gives them more they, they they actually are more you know redemptive than 
the actual real people, you know, quote unquote real people, like normal, normal mm-hmm. people. So it's kind of, yeah, that, see, now I got to watch the Sentinel to see that because, yeah, the exploit, exploited things, like, I guess at the time people probably loved it. Like, oh my God, that's crazy. Look at those people. Yeah. It's like, no, they're real people, by the way. Like, come on. So, of course, um, uh, uh, Herbert West and Dean Kane show up to kind of um, save the day. West uh, is, is somewhat heroically, which is a bit weird considering how we're supposed to feel about him. Um, right. G- gives an overdose to the Dr. Hill character who is kind of carrying around his severed head in a an effect that I appreciate more than I like because it is, you know. Um, but, yeah. And then uh, that results somehow in um, the intestines Tentacles. shooting out yeah. and <laughs> trying to choke West to death. Um, <laughs> un- unfortunately, um, Megan Halsey is choked to death by uh, one of the reanimated corpses and, and the, the film ends in sort of a... Uh, it's sort of like Pet Cemetery, you know, like, oh, I, yeah. I I love you so much. But it is it is that cool kind of parallel, as we mentioned, like, Kane was the guy that didn't know when to let go. He still can't let go, so it ends with him injecting the reagent into her, and then over Black, uh, and there's a scream, and then just kind of the, the, the credits roll. Yeah, like, I, I, I also appreciate how it ends on that scene where it turns Black, but you see the reagent only on the screen and it like you see it yeah. go away slowly mm-hmm. i like that that's a cool little like effect like a little animated effect that to me works at that her screams yeah and you're like oh and, and he's continuing and and that's the other thing that i've always found weird like not only like the intestines become the, these weird like you know tentacle things and but also like there's like that doorway to like hell basically opening up yeah mm-hmm from the body and like he's getting dragged in but then when we get to the the sequel yeah none of that happened yeah it's yeah it's so weird and so that's i guess we can um give our final thoughts on it as a film before we talk about it as an adaptation but i guess Mm -hmm. um i I don't know it's a i i had better memories of it when i watched it. it it hasn't aged as well to me like i said the tonally it's very mixed i don't i don't love how it kind of vacillates between um horror and like and not just comedy but like slapstick kind of comedy which i don't think fits in very well um but i i certainly uh and of course the whole rape shit that's like that's awful and the fact that yeah yeah we have a a hooray a significant female character that wasn't the source material except oh she's just there for titillation and to basically institute change in the men uh great i don't love some of the gore effects, but also to to you know extend a little bit of grace. I mean, it, they were working on a low budget. They were working for I think under under like half a million or maybe around half a million dollars. I could be wrong about that. Um, but low budget. I mean, some of the stuff is is legitimately kind of cool. Like the uh, when the intestines do kind of shoot out when that body kind of starts just basically degrading and splitting in half. It's it's a it's kind of it's kind of gnarly in a good way. Um, and uh, I I don't love it, but it's also like. Eh, you know, it's it's a it's if I'm separating it from the source material, it's a it, it's a, a, a fun at times kind of little low budget horror film that is uh, obviously a, a now a cult classic. Yeah, I mean, like I, I I like it more than you, but you know, besides the one problematic scene, I still I enjoy it. it like you said, it like a lot of times with comedy, it doesn't always hit. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like it's not always a brain of a cat against the wall. Sometimes it just kind of slides right down and goes, Oh, let's try it again. Maybe this one will <laughs> stick this time. Um, um, I, I like it. And I, especially even though people have said it's a ripoff of Bernard Herman's score to psycho, mm-hmm. 
Richard Band's score, I really enjoy. I think it's actually has that good like feel like it's almost like a gleeful science fiction score. Yeah. Like, you know, and like very, very well done. And like, I actually what's really funny is that I used to have that soundtrack that I didn't anymore. And I've been looking for it for a good price for yeah, it's been out of print for super long time from Waxwork Records. Okay. And yesterday I went to this one record shop down in Ridgewood where I used to live and they had a copy for less than $40, which was actually really good. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm doing the podcast tomorrow. I'm going to buy it and listen to it tonight. And I did. <laughs> so I own it again. It, it was a happy story. I was like, and it was, and it, it was to me, it was perfect timing because I'm like, wow, this is kind of weird to find this right before we were doing this episode. I'm like, <clears throat> I have to buy it. It's good luck. You know, it has to be good luck. Oh, and by the way, I'm looking up more. Um, okay, it was it, it was less than a million, but it was $900,000. Okay. Which is nothing. Even back then, that's that's barely anything. And, and, and it was a hit, of course. Like, yeah. Like, why would you make two sequels? But, but it's also telling that the sequel took five years to make after this film yeah and 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 yeah, yeah it, it certainly was a a, a hit a, a kind of a cult classic and also on top of the score i gotta say this was the i believe this was the first time that they kind of used because the re the reagent has that look because it's basically it's it's a glow stick that's that's just kind of yeah. put into a fit and that's that's a cool little evocative effect like it adds something like if you just yeah. kind of had a, a clear chemical even just something that was green but the fact that it adds this otherworldliness to it kind of adds adds something cool and i i don't want to say it's become iconic but it has become something that is uh recognizable basically which i think is really cool yeah and i actually funny enough because of this movie i wanted to try to see how they did it and like i heard glow sticks but i was like i would use highlighters and break <laughs> them up and put them in water mm -hmm. and like do these like little art like art bottle things and give it to people as a gift mm -hmm. And people loved them because, like, when you had it and you, if you, like, shone, like, certain lights on it, it would actually glow in the dark. <laughs> and I'm like, there's your reagent. But I said, <laughs> I, I would always warn people, do not open it because it is the worst smell ever. <laughs> So imagine being injected with that shit, you know? Oh my god! Yeah, and and it, it does it does speak to the ingenuity of like, wait, we got a low budget. Like, what are we working with? Let's try this thing that ends up being a smashing success. But yeah, we're we're not entirely apart, uh, or or not worlds yeah. apart on, on a, as a, a film. But I gotta say, when it comes to being a a good or faithful adaptation, I gotta say, I think it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is not ironic, but it is kind of strange to me how like this is. Well, I mean, for me, this was my first as exposure to H.P. Lovecraft, as you kind of said. And so to kind of see that, you kind of like, oh, cool. So this guy's into kind of schlocky, um, pulpy sort of like uh, uh, a gore and viscera, which is not the case at all. And um, as I mentioned, I, I, I have, let me see, which, which problem do I start with when it comes to this being an adaptation? I guess I'll get to the one that I, that I hinted at earlier of the focus being from um experimenting with life to kind of trying to to hold off on death because there is a line in this movie where they where west is kind of trying to like it's almost kind of an altruistic thing where in the book sorry i keep calling it a book in the story right. um i don't think west gives a shit about uh humankind at all i think he is just more no. concerned with this idea of like emphasizing that idea of like life our 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 life as we know it it is 
meaningless. We are just animated body parts, basically. And I think that shift then just kind of does lose that, what we've talked about, the dread, the existential dread, the kind of, like, meaninglessness of it. It gets lost in this film, and this film just becomes kind of instead sort of a, uh, here's some cool zombie effects, or, or here's... Here's a here's a Frankenstein story that didn't that didn't that couldn't be made because I know as the advent of this project, Stuart Gordon was kind of upset that in the eighties there was nothing but werewolf movies being put out, and he's like, "Yeah, why don't they make Frankenstein movies anymore?" And someone's like, "Oh, well, have you heard about Reanimator?" He's like, "No," and so we kind of just explored that and we kind of became this. Um, it, it's sort of more of a of a of a Frankenstein story than I think the actual. Um, book itself, uh, short story itself is, and I think when you lose, when you have that shift in the core, you've kind of lost the soul of the story, basically. Well, it, it's definitely a Frank, more of a Frankenstein story than the actual, you know, adaptation itself of the original story. But that's why the sequel's Bride of Reanimator. Like <laughs> they know it, you know what I mean? They mm-hmm. even like reference that it's more of that. It, that's why it's kind of funny that like we will talk about in the next episode that hmm. it's her you know it's it's hb lovecraft's bride no he didn't write that like <laughs> yeah that doesn't exist that's like it's almost like it's like hb lovecraft's still alive and he's just presenting the film mm-hmm. like oh yeah you can use my name i guess you know it doesn't matter it's all public it's all public domain anyway right it, it is and you mentioned the the kind of this element of the like the psychic connection between the the mm-hmm. the reanimated corpses which was not an element in the story. Sorry to be a purist. I find that kind of um, upset. Not upsetting, but it's just like, w- what the fuck, man? Like, how does it make any sense that you're going to have this psychic connection when what you're explicitly telling me is you're the just don't work. Yeah, yeah, you're just reanimating body parts. This doesn't this doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, and a little little side note is um, I've never seen the uh, integral cut. You know, integral cut mm-hmm. of this film, which is like over. I think it's like 105 minutes. Oh, jeez. They added like all the R-rated stuff to the unrated version, and I think it's like the German release has it, and it's something I've always wanted to check out just to see what's different. And because like I know one one scene that was taken out was um, it showed Herbert West injecting himself with very small amounts of the reagent to stay huh. awake and be energized. Okay, but but what I like about that, and because it's not just there just to show that, but it's also to show it might be affecting his thinking over the film, which is like almost like, like, like it's, it's like kind of fucking him up in other ways. And I kind of like that, but I can understand why you would cut that out. Like, it's kind of like, now you just show him as like a drug addict almost. Yeah. And I, I gotta, I'll, you know, I'll push back and say, I don't like that because another thing that I, I, I think is not bad, but which I disagree with in this is it makes, um, not that it makes Herbert West more of a character, but there's that scene at the end, as we described, where he kind of, he pulls out two needles and he's like, over, uh, not overdose. Uh, overdose? Overdose, yeah. And, and like, it's, 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 it's kind of a heroic. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is kind of heroic. And it's, and that's not the type of character he is. I mean, he's still a piece of shit, but no, like, yeah. I don't, I kind of agree with that. It's like, where did I come from? Yeah. And, and that's the thing I think is, the film is so much more intrigued and interested in Herbert West as a character, which, granted, he is an interesting character in what he's trying to do, but they kind of want us to get emotionally involved in him or sort of what he's doing, and in the short story, he's much more of just, he is a, he's the, the immovable force, basically. He's just like, he's, he's the same from the beginning to the end, and it's basically, and, and he's, he is a piece of shit guy. He's like, I mean, there is also the, um, 
there are some the racist elements of Herbert West Reanimator. There's there's that as well. <sighs> yep. But um, yeah, we we didn't we didn't talk about that, but that kind of like I I had forgotten about. Yeah. all those uh, references and i'm like ooh, yeah. right I, oh man i did as well um incredibly troublesome of course uh but I, I almost feel like herbert west himself doesn't care who the person is what they're doing like he's he's more interested in and then and this movie really wants us to kind of i i don't even think it's a it's a problem that the film wants us to be on board with him i don't even think the film wants us to dislike him the film wants us to very much like this character and oh yeah and and I uh, there's not an element of that in the short story, and that is something that I I don't care for. Which is funny because the way Jeffrey Combs plays him, he's not playing him as a hero. He's not like no. he is playing him as kind of a, like he's a dick, he's selfish, and he wants to do whatever. I think it's he's just so good at it. It's almost like sometimes you you know a lot of times like especially in horror. Like Freddy Krueger was not supposed to be liked. Yeah. Freddy Krueger is an awful person, you know, person that becomes his demonic force. But then he became a pop culture icon. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. kids wore his costume. Yeah. And he killed kids. Like, <laughs> yes. Like what? Like how did that? Or like how many times were there like R-rated movies that got changed into cartoon series? Oh, yeah. Like Robocop, Robocop, <laughs> Rambo forgot like, about oh my god right and, and it's weird to think that but that was like i think that's an 80s thing where like it was cool to be bad it was cool to be like like against the curve and like oh i'm bad but you like me because i get shit done so that has and, and i think that has a lot to do with where we were at at that time where we people like i don't know for some reason it's like well it's good to cheer for the bad guy because where are we getting with good, you know, good guys? You know, like good guys are just getting, eh, whatever. Yeah, well, in in that that whole weird thing of like, uh, you know, we're we're counterculture, but it sells. So then the the capitalistic culture is going to embrace it. I mean, it's not right. It's not an R-rated film, but Beetlejuice too had very much kind oh, of yeah. like a fuck these yippies, uh, these these uh, not yippies, yuppies kind of type, and then that became right. a popular Saturday morning cartoon character as well. So it's like, right, I, I, I don't, but and and it is, and it's, um. And that because the the Hill character once again there's there's this interesting um, rivalry between them, but by having hey here's Herbert West who's a scumbag, but here's this guy who's more of a scumbag. scumbag. It's like okay, so now we're rooting for him because we're just rooting against this guy more. Is a I I, I never want to relate to a character because something else is worse than that character. Like it, it's lazy. Right. It's it's almost like it's almost like politics. Like how people say, well, I didn't vote for him because this person's worse than that person and that that's not good that's that's like they're both shit then like what why would you cheer for any of them like and again like you said earlier dan is very bland mm-hmm. so that's kind of why you gravitate towards the one that's showing more of a mm-hmm. um you know a personality yeah and, and and don't don't um don't be like don't make it the you know the enemy of my enemies my friend give me a reason to to care and right but having said that i don't i don't necessarily want to care about herbert west i do think that somewhere out there there's a version of this film that could exist which is a dark comedy in which west is still just kind of like a supporting character and we have a a more interesting character at the heart of it i, I mean i think right i think you could actually tell this story and maybe this is blasphemy with removing the dr hill character entirely oh yeah you you could like i i agree with that i understand why they added it mm-hmm. but the original story there is really like i mean i guess you could say you know dr halsey who's the dean 
is kind of like at first he's put he's pushing back against West, but it's not really like there's no um adversary really. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of Herbert West and his and ultimately we have to believe this this, you know, unnamed narrator <laughs> telling us this. You know what I mean? Like he's telling these stories. And really, actually, when you think about it, like you said, of the little the not even little, but the the racist parts of it, that's the that's the unnamed narrator being a racist. Yeah. We never see Herbert West say anything, right? Like that he doesn't necessarily say, Oh, look at this, blah, blah, blah. It's the narrator kind of making these awful comments about one of the dead bodies that they inject. Yeah, in in a way, there's right. a there's there's a weird egalitarian nature of, of Herbert West, where it's just kind of like I don't care, like you're, we're all yeah. meat bags anyway. What does it even matter? Right. I want to try it out. Like like is is he fresh enough? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. And, and then of course that leads to the uh uh I'm being facetious, but the biggest sin of this and that at the end of of the story, Herbert West is supposed to be uh torn to pieces, but of course. That doesn't happen because he somehow returns for two sequels. Well, ultimately, remember who gets ripped apart? It's Dean Halsey, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gets ripped apart at the end. So they added that. And then, he, like I said, he does get sucked into this weird force or whatever. So ultimately, I don't know if they intended to make a sequel. But mm-hmm. like a lot of horror films, it becomes a hit. Well, how can we do a sequel? How <laughs> yeah. can we bring these characters back? Let's yeah. Let's... Let's figure it out. Yeah, and, and it is, and it is. You mentioned Dean Halsey being being torn apart, and that it's it's you know it's lip service. It's like, well, in this story, we have some element yeah. of happening, so why don't we just kind of throw it in there? Which, come on, right. don't don't be don't don't be the Hobbit franchise, basically. <laughs> so, oh, but all right, well, um, I think that's this is probably a good place to to wrap it up. Um, of course, um, there are various ways to get in touch with us. You can email us at moviesofmadness at gmail dot com. James created a Twitter for us. Hooray! Yes. Yes, yes, at, at Cast Cotillu. Yeah. Because the of was, I don't know why, just did not want to take it. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and, and that is um, C-T-H-U-L-H-U, of course, Cast Cthulhu. Um, one thing that I found interesting that I, I was telling James when we were trying to set this all this up, if you actually, <laughs> the Cast of Cthulhu itself, if you actually Google search the Cast of Cthulhu mm-hmm. with the of in it, your first result will be, it's like a... Uh, a, a live action sort of murder mystery with a Lovecraftian bent. Um, yeah. That is the website. So we we couldn't we couldn't get cast of Cthulhu because it is a a, a cast of characters in this live action thing. But um, you can still you can still <laughs> you can still do cast Cthulhu at Twitter, and then of course um we are you can find us on uh, Podbean as well. And uh, we still don't have I I, I blame myself for this. We still don't have Facebook set up. We will at some. No, point. We will. We will, and we'll have an Instagram in the next few weeks like i'm gonna set that up too just so we have we have a little of everything you know the, yeah. <laughs> but of course awesome. i'm an, an individual twitter you can find me at a uh, uh, nolan fixes teeth you can find me at fistful of media of course so and then so that does it for um the uh, uh for reanimator um next time we'll actually be we're not just have well we are having one episode next time but it's about two okay. films we've we've decided to combine the 1989 Bride of Reanimator and the 2003 Beyond Reanimator into one uh, double episode for you. It's basically kind of like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness because it will also make you feel that way. By the end, you will feel that way. Yes. Right. So um, thanks for, uh, for joining us for this one. Uh, next time we'll be talking about Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu at his house in Rilia. Really, uh...